but he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath began to teach the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his message had authority. In the synagogue there was a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Ha! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, What is this teaching? With authority and power he gives orders to evil spirits and they come out and the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Good morning, everyone. That was an incident that took place, one of several incidents that took place that involved the uh, discussion of Jesus with demons. In all of history, all of written history, all that we know about, there was only one time during man's course of life in which the demons were allowed to inhibit and in, in, inhabit the person of an individual, that is, come into their body and speak through them. It was a narrow space of time, probably limited at the time just before Jesus came to this earth until a little bit of time before the gospel was fully taught. So a, period, a brief period of time, about 30 or 40 years in, in its extent, under no other circumstances do we ever read about or know about with verity that demons were able to be inside an individual bodily and speak. But it all was probably due to some promises that God had made so that Jesus could demonstrate his power over the demons. Now we read about it in texts like Revelation chapter 12 where the demon was cast out of heaven and given a short time and that time, in all likelihood, was that time spent when Jesus could confront the demons in the person and cast them out, and so could the apostles uh, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But be that as it may, let's just look at the context of this text. Jesus was uh, working His miracles, working His way with the, with the people and impressing them with His miracles and with His power. And he cast out some demons, not just one out of the individual. It says he cast out many. And when, when they spoke, they said, we know who you are. We know who you are. As a matter of fact, they said, you are the Holy One of God. Now, whether or not they understood what they were saying or whether they were telling the truth, who knows? They were demons. And he's just transcribing what they said. They said, we know you. In all likelihood, they thought they knew him, like some people today think they know him, when they simply know a little bit about him. So when a person says, I know Jesus Christ, they may not be saying the same thing you say when you say, I know Jesus Christ. They may know something they've heard about him. They know, may know something they've learned about him, but do they actually know him? Now that's the point that we want to establish uh, today. Now, what I want to start out with, first of all, is to tell you something that most of you know, but maybe you don't think about it enough. And that is that God knows you. 
He knows you. He knows you inside and out. He not only knows your name, he knows everything about you. One text in the Bible tells us that even the very hairs of our head are numbered. Craig says he knows that. He doesn't have many to number. (laughs) So he's he's an easy guy. But the, the idea is that God knows us, and we believe that from the Bible record. Now, and we have confidence in the Bible record. So I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bible to Psalms 139 because I want to read a a text, 13 verses as a matter of fact, that tells us something. It's, It's not just what David is saying about himself. He's actually saying this on our behalf, extending it to us as well. So he says, O Lord, starting out in Psalms 139 at verse 1, he says, O Lord, you search me, and known me. So David is confessing, you know me. And he said, you, you know my downsetting and my uprising. He says, you know when I sit down, you know when I get up. And we have to think about that a little bit. You understand my thought afar off. You compass my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. There's not a word in my tongue, but O oh Lord, you know it altogether. You have beset me behind and before, and you've laid your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. David is simply saying, I can't, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I I can't conceive of that. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend up into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, and the word hell means in the world the unseen dead, if I go into the grave, he said, Behold, thou art there, the unseen dead. If I take the wings of the morning, that's the, the rays of the sun, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall your hand lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me, yea, the darkness hides not from you. But the night shines as the day, the darkness and the light are both alike to you. For you have possessed my reins, that is the way you govern me. You have gov- covered me in my mother's womb. So he's saying several things here. He's saying, you know what I'm saying. You know where I am. You know where I live. You know where I'm going. You know when I sit down and get up. You know everything about me. Even my thoughts are not far from you. What I say and what I think, you know. Now, and then he, he makes a confession that we all make. We don't know how that's possible. How is that possible that that's happening? Let me read another text, this time in the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 and 13. It says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents, wait, is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Not only does he know what you're thinking, he knows what you're conspiring to think. He knows what you're intending to think. He says, Neither is is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. He knows where you're going. 
He knows where you've been. He knows when you sat down. He knows when you got up. He knows when you tried to get away, when you came back. He knows what you're thinking, what you're saying, and what you intend to say, think, and do. He knows that. So it's it's little little wonder that he knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows all that. Luke chapter 16 and verse 14 and 15, I want to get to this point. That is, he knows the intentions and he knows what's deep down inside you, not just what you're thinking, but he knows what you're feeling. He knows your heart, not just your brain, but he knows your heart. So Jesus is, is confronting the Pharisees here and it says the Pharisees who were covetous heard all these things and they derided him. They were mocking him. He said unto him, he said unto them, that's Jesus, you are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. Another text tells us in John chapter 2, verse 24 and 25, it says, Jesus didn't commit himself to them because he knew all men. And he needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Okay. God knows all about us. He knows all about you. Everything about you. He knows what you feel, what you think, what you do. He knows why you think it, why you feel it, and why you're going to do it. If not, if he didn't know all of that and know all that all the time, how could he judge us? That's what Paul asked. He asked that question in Romans 3 verse 6. He says, how then shall God judge the world? If he doesn't know that, how can he judge the world? If he, he knows the five W's in your life. Who, why, where, what, and when. He knows everything. He knows all that. Colossians 4 verse 9 says, But now, after that you have known God, or rather are known of God. <laughs> Did you get that? Paul said, Now, now that you have known God, or, or rather that you are known of God, he said, Why turn you again to weak and beggarly elements, whereunto you desire again to be in bondage? This is a sobering thought. It's a sobering thought. Why should it be a sobering thought? Why should, we, why should we wonder at the fact that God knows what's in your heart, in my heart? He knows all these things. The five W's. He knows all that. Why should that be a sobering thought? The reason I'm saying that is because He is our Creator. Because He created me, He knows what's in me. He knows how I function. He knows how I think. He knows how I I'm going to do certain things. He knows why I'm going to do certain things. And He knows the way I'm going to do certain things. He knows all that because He's my Creator. Now we have to think about that in terms of human terms because that's all we know. We're not divine. We're not God. We're not gods. We're humans. So it's, it's, it's reasonable that we should think in these limited ways because we are limited in what we know and how far we can, we can take that knowledge. If a person creates, let's say, a robot, the person who creates that robot knows what that robot is going to do. Why? 
because they created the robot. They know how it works, how it functions, everything about it. They know about it. They know all the intricacies of, of it. They know what's going on. In the same way, but more extensive, God not only, not only knows about us because He created us, but He's able, he's able to communicate from Himself to us so that He knows what we're going to do. Now, you say, how is that possible? It is not possible on a human level. It is not even possible for you to comprehend it. Do you get that? We're not God. If we were God, we could understand all of that. We could see it. We could figure it out. But we're not God. We're, we're made in the image of God. But we have no capacity to understand how He's doing what He's doing. There are 7.9 billion people on this planet and God keeps track of every single one of them. And you know what that does to people? They say, that's not possible. You know why they say that's not possible? You know why you say that's not possible? Because you're not God. You don't know how it works. Because you can't do it. And I can't do it. And no one that I know could do it. There's no way on earth that I know of that anybody can keep track of everybody on this earth. Some think that the United States government is trying to keep track of all of us everywhere in this country. Big brother, they call it. Well, we've heard that since 1984. We heard that. Heard that term. Going to inject us with something so they can track us. Well, they can track us right now through our phones. You carry a phone around, they'll know where you are. So if, if you're concerned about being tracked, leave your cell phone at home. <laughs> you, you, can be, you, can, they, you can be found. You can be traced down, found sometimes. Sometimes people can get off the grid and not be found. But the idea is, we, we, we can't conceive of any way that we could actually just keep track of where people are, much less what they're saying. Okay, we're going to eavesdrop on these phones so we can tap into your phone and hear what you're saying. Who has the uh, ability? Well, we know that, th that there are some organizations that have developed themselves to the point that they can tap in on conversations and pick up on key words but nobody on this earth has the capacity to live, listen to everybody's conversation at once and understand it and hear it and be able to sort it out. We know that's, that is virtually, let's wait a minute, it's impossible for us to do it. But in doing so, we're putting God in a box and saying, we're going to limit you. You can't do it either. If we can't do it, you can't do it. If we can't conceive of it being done and how it's done, it can't be done. Well, that's what, that's what man does. He stumbles along and says, well, uh, I just, I just, I just don't, I just can't, I can't figure that, I can't see that. Therefore, it's impossible. Basically, that's, that's the difference between believing in God and not believing in Him. Believing in Jesus Christ, not believing in Him. Believing that He can hear your prayers when He's listening to millions and billions of other prayers and sorting them out and deciding who's He's going to answer and who He's not going to answer. We can't conceive of it. But God says He can, that He does that. And that makes Him God and makes us man. We're the creatures, not the creators. We're the creatures. 
So God created us in that way. So the bigger question to me is, we're, we're the ones who choose to ignore Him, and we, we try to eject Him from our lives because we don't, we don't understand Him. We don't really want to understand Him. God made us with free will. He asked about the demons. And to say, well, where did the demons come from? Well, they were created. They're creatures, creations of God. Do I know why? No, I don't know why. But I do know they're given free will just like we're given free will. They, they refused to comply with what God wanted them to do, apparently. They were cast down from heaven. You can read that in several texts in the Bible, in, in uh, Revelation in particular. You can read that in a couple of places. But the point is, he created us. He knows us. He knows what we're doing. He knows who we are and what we're doing at all times. The bigger question before us is this. He's going to know all that anyway. We can't help that. You can't stop that. You can't say, well, I'm going to hide somewhere. So I'm going to, I'm going to get in a lead line box and he can't read my thoughts. He can't x-ray me. He can't see me. Well, yes, he can. Just because we can't see that way doesn't mean He can't see that way. You see, He is God. And so the Bible tells me, and I believe the Bible, it's a unique book. Not just unique, it's a one of a kind ever. And there have been a lot of philosophers who have come along during this, in this earth and said, have compared all the different books, ancient and modern books, to this one. And this one has no comparison to anything else. Anyway, the bigger question is, do we know Him? Now that's what the devil said. I know you. We know you. We know who you are. Well, that's kind of like James was talking about in James chapter 2. says the devils believe and tremble. They may have known, but they really did they really know Him? If they really knew Him, they, they probably would have, I'm sure they would have behaved in a much different way. But our question is, do we know God? Do we know Him? In John chapter 1, verse 10, when Jesus came into this world, it says, He was in the world, and the world was made by Him, and the world did not know Him. He was in the world, the world was made by Him, we were made by Him, we don't even recognize Him. He's our Creator, He's the one that made us in, the, in His image, and yet we don't know Him. We manufacture concepts of what God would be if there is a God, and then we attempt to fit God into our limited concepts. But He's larger than our personal thoughts. We need to know Him. We need to reach out and grasp who He is. We need to know Him. He requires help in grasping Him. You can't go up on a mountaintop and find Him. You can't go down to the bottom of the sea and find Him. He can find you there, but you can't find Him. He has given us a place where we can find Him. We can discover God. That help is given in His eternal Word. The living Word of God. A Bible. You, you're holding, you can hold one of them. It's an Old Testament and a New Testament. And He's given us the information we need in order to get acquainted with Him. To know something about Him. We may not like what we find out about Him. But the point is that this book tells us about Him. You have to follow me carefully here. Because a lot of people read the Bible and they don't like it. Whether you like it or not, it tells you who He is. It tells you about God. The Old Testament tells you who He is. The New Testament tells you who He is. 
So you cannot just shuck it apart and take it apart and say, no, I don't believe that. Many of you know this. Some of you don't. Thomas Jefferson made his own translation of the Bible. And he winnowed out the things he didn't believe and just left in the things he did believe. That meant that he, did, he didn't care to know. He just wanted to make sure it comported with what, his idea of what the Bible should be, the New Testament in particular. He took all the miracles out and so forth, things that he didn't think he could grasp. So all the miracles of the Bible were gone. And so anything he didn't agree with, anything he could not understand, he just took it out. And that's how people do the Bible sometimes. Maybe that's the way you do it. You read the Bible and say, I don't like that. I don't like what it looks like. I don't like what God looks like. Well, that's our problem then, isn't it? We don't, that's the only way we're going to know Him because that's the only way He's given for us to find out about Him. That's the only way we're ever going to know Him. First, we read about in the Scriptures about God, Old Testament, Law and the Prophets, History, and then we read in the New Testament about His Son Jesus. First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11 through 13 says it this way simply. It says, What man knows the things of a man save the spirit of man that is in him? So, I cannot know you, you cannot know me, and the only way we know each other is if you tell me a little bit about yourself and I tell you about myself, but we still don't know each other like that, do we? You can, you can know someone, think you know someone all your life, and then all of a sudden something comes up and you realize you didn't know that person at all. The only person that really knows you is you and God. God knows you, you know you. And you'd let us know something about you. Okay. It says, What man knows the things of man, say the Spirit of man that's in him, even so the things of God knows no man but the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God knows the things of God. Now we have received, he says, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given us unto God, which things also we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual words with spiritual things with spiritual words. In John chapter 5, verse 37 through 39, Jesus was talking to the people that he came to. He was talking to them, trying to tell them things about himself and about his Father. And it says, the Father Himself which sent me has borne witness of me. The Father has told you about me. That's what Jesus is saying. You have neither heard His voice at any time nor seen His shape. Now why had they not heard His voice? Every Sabbath day they perched themselves in a synagogue and read the Scriptures. Yet Jesus said, you've never heard His voice. How can that be? Jesus later told them, you shut your ears and your eyes and you won't hear and you won't believe and you won't see. He said, you have not His Word abiding in you. Now that's the, that's the main point. You didn't let it come in. For whom He has sent, Him you believe not. Search the Scriptures, He said. For in them you think you have eternal life. They are they which testify of Me. When you're searching the Scriptures, when they were searching the Scriptures, they were making it all about themselves and everything they wanted to see and winnow out of the Scriptures like people will do. Like winnowing wheat and I'll just take what I want and call the rest chaff and I'll just take what I want. That's what they were doing. He said, search the Scriptures. In them you think you have eternal life, but they're talking about me. The Old Testament was. 
In John chapter 17, verse 25, it says, O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you have sent me. The world hasn't known you, but I know you. That's what Jesus said. In John 8, verse 54, He answered and said, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It's my Father that honors me, of whom you say that He is your God. You have not known Him. Now those are some pretty serious charges He's making these people. These people were religious to the hilt. Up to the top they were religious. Every week, every Saturday they spent the day reading the Scriptures. Quoting the Scriptures. Writing them down on their, their shirts. Putting them over their doorposts. They were, they were in the Scriptures. What's going on? They apparently were not looking for God. That's, he's saying you, did, you never did find Him. You're not, they weren't looking for Him somehow. They weren't finding Him. He said, uh, you've not known Him, but I know Him. And if I should say I know Him not, I'll be a liar like you. But I know Him and keep His sayings. Jesus was the firstborn of every creature. So, when Jesus came, when He came to this earth, He presented the picture of God, showing what God is like. So He gives us more information about Him. We ask the question, or should ask the question that Moses did. Who are you? Right? That's what Moses asked. When, he came, when the bush was burning, you remember? And the, and the angel was speaking to him, and, the, and the, he got the voice, and the voice told him to, he had to go down to Egypt and free his people. And Moses said, who are you? That's a, that's a valid question. Who are you? And he said, as a matter of fact, he said, who, if I'm, I'm going to go down there and talk to Pharaoh, who am I going to tell sent me? And so he said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, thus saith you unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. It's the same question, if you think about it, when the, the uh, Apostle Paul, who was named Saul, before he's Paul, he was, he was one of the leaders in the, in the uh, hierarchy of Israel, of the Jews, during the day of Jesus. And he knew about John's baptism. He had probably been there and witnessed it. And he knew all about what Jesus had been doing for three and a half years now. And now then, after the church began and men were preaching about Jesus, Saul was laying wait to, to persecute them and to, and to give them problems. And when Stephen stood up to preach among some Grecian Jews, Saul was there. And when they, when they did not hear what they wanted to hear, they decided to kill Stephen. And Saul held the young men's coats while they stoned Stephen and killed him. was there for his murder. And so Saul now is going to Damascus, north of Israel, north of the area of Judea. He was going to Damascus, and he's going to bring some Christians back, people that believed in Jesus, bring them back and put them in prison. And on the way, a bright light shone around about him. Acts chapter 9. Bright light shone around about him. He fell to his knees and heard a voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You know what Saul said? He said, who are you, Lord? <laughs> he had a suspicion, didn't he? Who are you, Lord? Something was eating at this man. And something in the back of his mind was tickling. And he's thinking, 
I've been on the wrong track here. Who are you, Lord? He asked the question we asked. Who are you? Who are you? And he said, I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you persecute. It's hard for you to kick against the pricks. That's the gold. You know, when a when an animal was ornery and wouldn't move, stubborn, they'd take a little sharp stick and poke at the tendons and his heels kind of make him move. And that's what Jesus said. Saul, it's hard for you to kick against this. So Saul knew back in his mind he was doing something wrong. Now he's saying, who are you, Lord? And that's what we ask. When we research the history and testimony of Jesus and of God, we come into possession of the vast riches of heaven. When we want to know God, there's only one place we can go to find Him and find out about Him. The Bible. And there's only one person who can actually show us what He looks like. And that's Jesus. In John chapter 4, verse 10, there was a woman at the well of Samaria, a Samaritan woman. Jesus approached her and He wanted a drink of water. And she said, How come you, a Jew, are asking me for water? And Jesus answered, he said, uh, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that said to you, Give me to drink, you would have asked of him and he would have given you living water. You'd get water you wouldn't run out of. He said, If if you'd known. She didn't know. Luke chapter 10, verse 21 22. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in spirit and said, I thank you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You have hid these things from the wise and prudent and has revealed them unto babes, even so, O Father, so it seemed good in your sight. He's talking about his, his followers, his disciples. You hid these things from wise and prudent. The wise and prudent think they're smart enough that they know God without the information that God has given. They can find God without reading the Bible. Where are, they lo- where are they looking for Him? Where are they looking for God? Well, they're not. They're saying, there is no God. We're here by ourselves. There's no such thing as design, teleology, teleological arguments. It all happened. We're our own gods. We're our own makers. We, we have this on our own. There's no such thing as God. And yet, we know there is a God. And all the evidence points to Him, of course, in our own lives. We are His creator, creations. He said, all things are delivered to me of my Father. No man knows who the Son is but the Father, and who the Father is but the Son, and him to whom the Son will reveal him. The first major step we have to take in order to be able to say, I know you, is critical. Before I can say, I know you, Lord, it's critical that we take the first step. That first step is to look at the text, look at the Bible, and see if we can discover who He is. That's the smart thing to do. That's the intelligent thing to do. It's not the arrogant thing to do. It's the, it's the, it's the logical thing to do. Let's find Him where He said He's revealed Himself. The Old Testament and the New Testament. It's not always appealing to us. Matter of fact, even when Jesus came, it says He had no comeliness that we should desire Him in Isaiah 53. He didn't look good. That's what that text says. Jesus didn't look good. He was not attractive to people. And sometimes when we read the Bible, it's not attractive to us. Maybe it's not because God isn't attractive. It's because our lives are not attractive and not in, in, the, in harmony with Him. That time will come if we ignore ourselves and our God 
when we are disavowed because we disavow Him. He's going to say, I don't know you. Now, I don't know why God wants to know me anyway. I'll, I'll tell you honestly. I've thought about it. I've prayed about it. I've considered it. I've never thought, I've never reached the conclusion as to why God wants to be around me. Have you? Are you? Do you feel like you're attractive to God? I, I don't. I, I don't understand why why He wants to have anything at all to do with me. Why does He want to be around me? I know why I want to be around Him. I know what He has to offer for me. He offered to me. He has the great riches of, and treasures of heaven. He gives. He gives me hope. He gives me peace. He gives me confidence. He gives me happiness and joy. And he said, that, that's what I want to share with you. I want to share my happiness and my joy with you. And I ask, why? What do I have to offer you, God? What do I have? What can I offer you at all? It says, um, we, of course, if we find out about Him, if we know about Him, and when we do, when we do find out about Him, then we humble ourselves we know about Jesus. We confess His name. We repent of our past sins. We know that we're not worthy. And then we're baptized into Jesus Christ for the remission of our sins. But even at that point, when I come up out of the waters of baptism, I'm still no good, really. No good for Him. I'm nothing. But He, he loves me. God so loved the world. Why? I can never tell you. I can never figure it out myself. That, that's why I can't tell you. But he does. This this doesn't mean that he doesn't know about me. It means I don't know about him, and then I, I want to know about him. And if I don't know about him, then I may be disavowed. It's a wonderful thing to know someone who's in power and authority and popular, isn't it? I shook hands with Ronald Reagan one time. That makes me feel good. He shook hands with a million others too. I doubt if he remembers my name. <laughs> I doubt, I'm sure he doesn't. But you know what? It feels good to think that somebody knows you, doesn't it? Somebody that's powerful and somebody that's influential and somebody that's, that's good for you. And won't it be something if when we stand before God in the day of judgment, He says, I, I know you. I know you. Matthew 7, verse 26, 23 says this. It says before that, 21 through 23, it says, Many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, have we not taught in your streets? Have we not cast out devils? And so forth. He said, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. There's a time coming when he's going to say, I don't know you. Wow. John chapter 2, verse 25, Jesus said He didn't have to know me because He knew what was in man. But the time will come when every person on earth, when we desire that Jesus knows us, we will desire that. When He identifies us with Himself as part of His being, when you're baptized into Jesus Christ, you become part of Jesus Christ. You become part of His being. You are one. You're all made one in Christ. Ephesians chapter 4 talks about that, the oneness. You're made one in Christ. So that means that you're totally identified with Him. Somehow, 
He totally identifies you with Him. He includes us in His family, and He identifies us as part of Himself. Now that's that boggles my mind. How can that happen? That He takes me and includes me, just brings me in and absorbs me into Himself, into His Son, among His people. We're one. I'm going to read a text in Revelation chapter 3 at verse 12. John had received the letter of the revelation of, of Jesus Christ, which was sometimes called the Apocalypse, but it's talking about what Jesus looks like, and it's, it's in a different framework, of course. But in that, he, he mentioned seven churches of Asia. And then he tells each one of them what they were doing right and what, what they were doing wrong, and then tells them what they have to, to gain by being right and what they should be doing. And to the church at Philadelphia, he said this, and I, I want, to li- want you to listen to this. He said, To him that overcomes, will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. And he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God. You know what he's doing? He's totally identifying these people with himself. You're going to be part of me. I'm going to absorb you into myself. I'll write on you the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon you my new name. You are part of me. You are part of me. I'll totally envelop you. I'll consume you. So that's what it means when you be, when you know God, when you get to know Him. How do I do that? I read my Bible. I apply these things to myself, and I let Jesus come into my heart. I know Him, and He knows me. Let's stand and sing the song of invitation.